Sadly, both clever and clumsy killers have always lived among us. Could it be a neighbor? A family member? A co-worker? Are they capable of committing such a chilling crime? What drives deranged people to do away with someone and then do it over and over again? We're going to find out what goes on in the mad mind of a murderer. Join me as we sniff out serial killers on today's FYI. Welcome to For Your Info. English. You got it. You got it. Hello, 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 my amigos, and welcome to this, another exciting edition of FYI, where we're going to talk about serial killers, and we've got a special guest joining us any moment now. So let's go through the intro really, really quickly, and then we'll chat with our special guest, who is a specialist, a pro on the subject of serial killers. All right, I started the intro by saying, sadly, desafortunadamente, sadly, literalmente, es tristemente, both clever and clumsy, both es ambos, and clever es listos, and clumsy es torpe. Clever and clumsy killers have always lived among us, han vivido siempre entre nosotros. Could it be a neighbor? Cuidado con ese could, ese could, would, and should, nunca pronunciamos la L. Could it be a neighbor, un vecino, a family member, un familiar, no, no way. Hey, you never know. A co-worker or a colleague? Are they capable, capable es capaz, of committing? Now, we commit crimes in the United States and in English. Well, not just in the United States. All over the English-speaking world, people commit crimes. And when it's a very gruesome crime, we call it a chilling crime. You guys know me. I love my alliteration. And if you notice, there was quadruple alliteration. Are they capable of committing such a chilling crime? There you go, guys. I'm always throwing some alliteration at you. And then I've got some more. What drives? Drives que motiva? Conducir, pero en este caso es motivar. What drives deranged people? Deranged is crazy. To do away with someone. And to do away with is get rid of. And get rid of is de deshacerse de in Espanol. And then do it over and over again because that's the definition of a serial killer. And we'll look at that with our friend Francisco. So over and over again. Beth. Then I said we're going to find out, averiguado, enterarnos, what goes on, qué ocurre, in the mad mind of a murderer. Y la palabra mad es muy interesante porque mad puede ser enfadado o también puede ser loco. Y creo en este caso... Ambos, both, desgraciadamente. Then I said, join me as we sniff out. Now, to sniff out is to smell, to get a whiff of, usmear. In fact, you could also say snoop. 
Does that remind you of a very famous dog, Snoopy? Yes, Snoopy is always snooping around. That's correct. All right, well, enough playing around with the intro. It's the moment you've been waiting for. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so pleased to announce that we've got a special guest on the show today, an expert, a pro, somebody who knows his stuff. That means he knows what he's talking about. And I was very lucky to have him on my radio show. And well, as a podcast listener, as an FYI listener, it's a pleasure to have him here on the show again today on the podcast. So guys, he is a journalist periodista, reporter, TV host, writer. He's worked on numerous radio and TV programs. You'll probably know him from the very popular Cuarto Milenio, which has been on the air for over 13 years. He's written books. The guy is tireless, incombustible, I think you say in Spanish. So please, a nice FYI welcome to our friend Francisco Pérez Caballero. Wow, it's a pleasure to finally have you here. We've been planning this for a long time. How you doing, Francisco? Welcome to the program. Hey, Alberto. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a big fan of this show. I'm a tireless listener of FYI. It's fantastic. I'm learning a lot. Thank you for thinking of me for this episode. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. For those of us who don't know about you, uh, why don't you give us a little info? Well, basically, I'm a journalist specialized in crime news. I'm sure we can learn a lot studying crime. All of us usually wear a mask in our life. Most of the time, we act like others expect us to act. It's a consequence of socialization but criminals do whatever they want to do. And by analyzing their behavior, we can reach some parts of the human mind that usually remain in the dark. When I started working on Cuarto Milenio, I had the opportunity to report about all those things that happen around us, but we cannot explain, you know, uh, that which we call paranormal activity. Believe me, the question is not if ghosts exist. They do exist but we don't know if they are created by ourselves, like a way that our brain uses to communicate us something, or if they are the souls of our ancestors. I don't want to lie to you. I'm quite skeptical, and I think our mind is the actual mystery, but often we can't find out the truth. Everything is possible. I've been working on TV for more than 20 years and I love my work and I've published five books about crime and mystery Asesinos, Dossier Negro, Killers, Inexplicable and Insolito. Oh wow, fascinating. Well, why don't you tell us more about your latest book which I have a copy of, Copies Ejemplar, and the book is called Insolito. What is it about? I usually say don't let anybody to tell you what you have to believe is the recurring theme of the book. In Insolito, I collect a lot of different topics. The book is the result of latest investigations. 
Of course, I talk about crime, but also about unsolved mysteries, about miracles, the power of faith, historic enigmas. And in all the cases, I've talked face to face with the witnesses and visit the scene of the facts. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. I call it like I see it. Hey, Alberto, I think I'm going to send you a pair of copies of Insolito. You may give them to your listeners. Guys, it is a page turner. A page turner is a book that you can't put down. I highly recommend it. Pick up a copy of Insolito, and you can also pick up uh, other books by our amigo Francisco. All right, so Francisco, how did you get into criminology? Because it's a fascinating subject, but I don't think everybody's cut out for it. No creo que todo el mundo está hecho para esto. So how did you get into criminology? And then, of course, reporting on criminology. Yeah, you are right. It may be scary and even unpleasant sometimes to approach the worst of us, but it's necessary and so interesting. As you can imagine, Alberto, I grew up surrounded by books and magazines and newspapers that talk about crime. My father, Francisco Pérez Avellán, used to talk to me about crime and killers, and it was so spellbinding. He explained to me that all of us have an evil side, and he told me that if you study the behavior of the killers, you'll be more prepared to protect yourself and your loved ones, because it's obvious bad people exist, and knowledge is our only weapon to fight against them. And I'm not talking just about killers, but bad people in general. They can harm us, but if we can detect them early, we'll be able to keep each other safe. So I started to read up on it, and I discovered it's really fascinating. I studied journalism, and when I finished the college, I started working Teresa Campos' TV show, where I learned everything about TV, and I had the opportunity to report about crime, and I'd never thought twice. All right. Well, now it's time to get to the nitty-gritty, lo importante. And we're here today to talk about serial killers, eh, matadores de cereales. Bueno, es un homófono y un chiste muy malo. A corny joke. No, I mean cereal de serie, pero se pronuncia igual. Cereal como cornflakes. You know me, always adding a little humor into what we do. So, Francisco, I've got a question. Are serial killers so different from us? I mean, could any of us be a serial killer? No, 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 Alberto. It's not so easy to become a serial killer. Everybody can kill someone, yeah, that's true. To protect our family, for example. But to kill people unknown over and over again, that's different. Because, you know, uh, serial killers are those who kill three or more victims in three or more separate locations with an emotional cooling off period between homicides. But the monster is under the skin. Apparently, they are exactly like us. It's difficult to admit it. So when there is a horrible crime, we usually think, oh, the killer may be crazy, but most of them aren't psychotics, you know, people who aren't responsible for their acts. Most of them are just evil, people who enjoy with the suffering of the victim, or psychopaths, people without empathy, who is true, aren't normal, but know very well the pain they cause and simply don't mind it. You've got to think, Alberto, that there was a time when we had to kill to survive. 
By now, fortunately, we don't need to do that. But violence, it's ingrained in us. When we are born, a process begins of education and socialization that we don't know why sometimes fails. It's true that some serial killers have very difficult childhoods, but a lot of them have completely normal lives before they start to kill. So I guess that brings us to the question of nature versus nurture. Nature says that we are the way we are because we were born that way. And nurture says that we were brought up or raised to be that way, that we have copied or mimicked that behavior. So here's my question. Are serial killers born that way or do they become that way? Nature or nurture or maybe a bit of both? What do you think, Francisco? That's the most important question in criminology. The Italian criminologist Cesare Lombroso thought that criminality was inherited and that a criminal could be identified by physical defects. It's true that some of us are born with a natural tendency to violence, but education and environment are more important than our innate attributes. I think it might be a mix between nature and nurture, but in the end, we can always choose our path. Most people who have a very difficult life don't become a serial killer. Ah, oh, okay. Interesting take. Eh, perspectiva muy interesante. I'm learning so much. I hope you guys are learning as well from this fascinating topic that, you know, all of us are interested in. We all have this morbid curiosity. So what do you think the fascination is? I mean, why are we so fascinated by serial killers? And, and why are we always, you know, making documentaries and miniseries about them? What's the fascination with serial killers? That's a good question, Alberto. I think we are fascinated by serial killers because we don't understand them. They are a mystery. They scare us. They kill people they don't know. So everybody and anybody can be a victim. That's terrifying. And it isn't easy to detect them because they usually are polite and kind and even attractive. They try to fit in. And they do. Even after the crimes, when they are in prison, it's not rare. They receive letters and messages of love. I think the cause of the fascination is that they reflect the evil side. All of us have control inside and that dark love is produced by the fake feeling that they are strong. There are people that don't understand that serial killers are incredibly weak. They are incomplete human beings. Hmm, okay, okay. So so why do they kill, though? And and really, I, my question is, not only why do they kill, but why do they kill so heinously? Because uh, a crime is a crime, but if it's a heinous crime, it's a horrible, terrible crime. So why do they kill repetitively and so heinously in most cases? Because, as I said before, they are broken. They are unable to have a normal life. They don't understand the world around them. They don't understand why we feel what we feel. And so they can relate with others with normality. They can have a partner, for example, because nothing satisfies them. They often are scared of women. They can accept rejection. So they decide to use violence. And they discover that the suffering, the pain, excites them. 
But as if it was a drug, they need more and more and more to feel the same high. They are always frustrated. So with each crime, they go one step farther. When did we start to study serial killers and their behavior and their MO, their modus operandi? That's a good question because we didn't used to do that. But in the 70s, the FBI agent Robert K. Ressler coined the phrase serial killer to call this kind of criminal. And he founded the Behavioral Science Unit, that now is called Behavioral Analysis Unit, to study them in prison. It wasn't easy because nobody understood what the hell they could teach us. But Ressler thought that if we studied criminal behavior, we would be more prepared to fight against serial killers because he thought criminal behavior is repetitive. And he was right. Thanks to this unit, he could name a lot of Jane Doe's. You know, that's the way police call the female unidentified victims. And to catch some unsubs, you know, unknown subjects, serial killers that were operating in the USA. Okay, well, you know what I'm going to do now, Francisco? This is fascinating stuff, but I want to bring up some names, mencionar algunos nombres. So I'll give you a famous serial killer's name, or I should say infamous or notorious, and I want you to tell me why this person is so infamous, obviously for killing people, but why do these serial killers that I'm about to mention, why do they stand out, destacan, uh, among the rest, entre los otros? The first name I'm going to say is a, a name that is synonymous with serial killers in the United States, and when we say, what do you think I am, Ted Bundy? So what do you think when I say the name Ted Bundy. Why is this guy the definition, the textbook definition of a serial killer in the United States, Francisco? Yeah, that's true, Alberto. I'm sure when we think about serial killers, the first name we think is Ted Bundy. When he was arrested, we were used to thinking that killers had a concrete look. You know, our mans used to say, cross the road if you see someone strange. But it's not so easy. Ted Bundy showed us that there isn't a criminal face. As I said, the monster is always under the skin. Ted was a handsome law student. He was charm, good-looking, intelligent. He killed so many girls in the USA from coast to coast that we don't know the actual number of victims, but all of them were similar types. Dark hair, parted in the middle. They all looked like one girlfriend he had that dared to leave him. He started in 1973 and was arrested in 1978. The country was terrified while he was on the loose, but despite the proof against him, a lot of people believe in his innocence, even though he has left a print of his teeth in the body of one of his last victims. Finally, he was sentenced to death penalty. He visited the old Sparky, you know, the electric chair, on January 24th, 1989. Outside, the crowd celebrated his death with banners that read, Fry Bundy. He looked like the perfect boyfriend for a daughter. He was a terrible serial killer. Oh, okay. So, you know, that's the thing. He's like the guy next door, no? El vecino, good-looking guy, charismatic, but... 
that doesn't mean he's not a serial killer. So what does that mean? As I said in the intro, guys, it could be anyone. It could be your neighbor. We hope not, but uh, you never, ever know. I love what they say in the documentaries. They say, it's always the quiet ones. Siempre son los silenciosos. Well, this next name, another name that is synonymous with murder and heinous crimes and bloodshed, and that is Charles Manson. Yeah, he's one of the scariest killers in history because he never killed anyone, but combines others to do it for him. I know you may think he isn't a serial killer according to the definition, but I'm sure he had killed again if he hadn't been arrested. He took advantage of the hippie movement. There were a lot of vulnerable people in the streets, you know, and formed a group of young people, mostly girls, that followed him like a leader. He used his magnetic charisma and the LSD to control them. He called the group The Family. In 1969, he sent his family to kill to one house in Beverly Hills, L.A. The killers didn't know it, but it was the home of Roman Polanski. They killed his wife, the actress Sharon Tate, who was pregnant, and four more people. They wrote a message with blood on the door. Pig. The next day, they killed Mr. and Mrs. LaBianca and left similar messages. Charles Manson says he killed because he wanted to produce an apocalypse that he called Helter Skelter, you know, like the Beatles song. This is important because uh, he also did it because he was a frustrated musician, Alberto. I don't know if you knew he dreamed about being the fifth Beatle. The house where the family killed Sharon Tate and her friends was previously the home of the musical producer who refused to edit the Manson music album. Manson's songs are on the internet now and are quite horrible. Anyway, Charles Manson was so scary that they never set him free on parole. He died in prison. All right, the next one I want to look at is one that is uh, very, very well known in my area in New York, and that is the son of Sam, Sam Berkowitz. Now, what made this such an influential uh, moment in time and, and so influential that uh, director Spike Lee made a movie? It's a fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's called Summer of Sam. You know, serial killers are always looking for an excuse to justify their killing spree. But the Son of Sun's reason was quite interesting. He showed us again that anybody could become a serial killer's victim. He killed following the orders of his neighbor's dog. <coughs> the devil talked to him through the dog, or that was what he thought. He fired his revolver against his random victims in New York. He killed six persons and hurt another seven between 1976 and 1977. He left some letters for the police at the crime scenes that were synced the son of Sam. In those letters, he said, I'm a monster, and Sam, my father, that was something like a demon, loves to drink blood. He was sentenced to life imprisonment, and in prison, he was attacked by another prisoner, but he survived. And another one that uh, I found out about when I was researching and preparing this program today was the Milwaukee 
cannibal. Now, the Milwaukee cannibal, what could you tell me about this serial killer who ate his victims? That's right, Alberto. Wow. It's scary, isn't it? Jeffrey Dahmer, the Milwaukee cannibal, preserved body parts of his victims because he didn't want to be alone. It's horrible. A lot of serial killers don't accept themselves. Jeffrey Dahmer was a homosexual, but he didn't accept it. That was the problem. So he seduced a man, he took him to his home, and then he dragged him. He wanted his victim to become something like a sexual slave, so he injected chlorhydric acid into his brain, trying to transform him into a zombie. Obviously, the victim died. Dahmer dismembered him, put some parts in barrels with acid, and took photos of everything. He repeated this process at least 17 times between 1978 and 1991. The police found some schools in his fridge. Reality is always scary at a fiction. And you may ask uh, why cannibals eat parts of their victims. Well, it's a question of sexual possession. You know, Alberto, a lot of people say to their partner, I gonna eat you. It's like a joke, like a game, but it shows love and desire. Well, serial killers take it too seriously. Okay, well, guys, I'm learning so much about not just serial killers, but about human behavior and how the mind works. But you know what? I just realized we're talking about all these American serial killers. Uh, I want to know about the Spanish serial killers. Now, I was looking it up a little bit, and I came across a name, Arropiero. And this is supposedly the most prolific killer, uh, serial killer in Spain. What could you tell me about Arropiero? You're right, Alberto. The most prolific killer in Spain was the Arropiero, Manuel Delgado Villegas, as is very usual. We don't know the actual number of victims of this serial killer, but he admitted 48 murders between 1964 and 1971. They call him that because his father did a rope, something like a caramelized grape juice. He killed using a strike he learned at the Legion, a fast hit in the neck. And this is interesting. He had the well-known criminality chromosome, XYY, Scientists tried to prove that men who had this strange chromosome were more violent and because of that driven to crime. But there is no evidence of that. We choose our destiny, my friend, and we can always choose not to hurt other people. And this next one, I know, well, you were personally involved in this next one, and this one was huge in the media. In fact, when I when I asked my wife, I said, babe, who's the most prolific or one of the most well-known serial killers in Spain? And she said, el asesino de la baraja. But she didn't hesitate. No dudo ni un segundo. She said, asesino de la baraja, which is pretty recent. Uh, this guy killed six people, if I'm not mistaken, in 2003. But nobody can tell us about this more or better than our amigo Francisco. So, Francisco, what was it like covering one of Spain's most prolific serial killers, el asesino de la baraja? Were you scared? Were you nervous? Maybe a little nervous. I was very young. It's normal that your wife thought of Asesino de la Baraja, because he's quite recent. 
and yeah, he killed six people in Madrid in 2003. I covered the whole case for TV. It was thrilling. I was at all the crime scenes. As you know, he left a car, del Palo de Copas, in some of the places he killed. Everybody was scared because it was impossible to know who was going to be the next victim. He killed with a gun that wasn't usual in Spain, a Tokarev 7.62. That caliber linked all the crimes. When Alfredo Galán surrendered it to the police, the hypothesis was it could be at least two killers using the same gun. But just Galán was sentenced as the Asesino de la Baraja to 142 years of prison. I was at the trial, and I always tell a story. One day, I stayed on the wrong side of the corridor, and the police had to push me to reach the court door. Galán passed very near, just a few inches from me. I saw the evil in his eyes, and it scarred me to death. It was an unforgettable scene. Well, I must say, this has been truly fascinating. And I think we could even do a podcast together. We can do a series on serial killers. We just need to find some extra time. Well, Francisco, I want to thank you so much for being here. And I just wanted to remind our listeners where they could follow you on social media or if you have a website or something like that. Give us your info. Thank you very much, Alberto. Uh, if uh, anybody wants to say anything to me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, like at FP Caballero, like my surname, you know, arroba FP Caballero, and in Facebook, like uh, Francisco Perez Caballero. And lastly, uh, you didn't know I was going to do this. No sabías que lo iba a hacer. I kind of surprised you. I, and, uh, but I think it's really important, and I want to do that because your passion comes from somewhere. Your passion for criminology, for crime, for finding out the truth comes from somebody very near and dear to you and somebody we'd like to dedicate this show today to. So uh, that is your dad. If uh, you haven't figured it out, tell us a little bit about your dad and what an amazing person he was and, and how much he did for this field. Oh, Alberto, I really appreciate this because, uh, you know, Francisco Perez Avellán was the best journalist specialized in crime news in this country. Well, you know, I'm, I'm his son, but, but it's the truth. Uh, and he was a very, very, very funny man, a good man. And as you know, uh, my father and me used to watch your TV show on Mahan TV, He liked English very much. Uh, he always wanted to speak it fluently. So thank you uh, for this possibility. Uh, that um, I don't speak English fluently yet, but I keep trying. This show is for you. Wow, that is very heartfelt. Uh, there's no love like a parent and a child. And, and to see you follow in your father's footsteps, uh, I know he was very proud of you. And I'm sure if there is a heaven that he's looking down at you right now and smiling, and he's still very proud of you. So thank you so much, Francisco. It's been a pleasure having you here on the podcast today. And uh, anytime you want to come back, you're more than welcome. Sure, I had a lot of fun. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So probably I'll be back like Terminator. <laughs> You're funny, man. Well, thank you so, so much for being here. And guys, what a pleasure it was to have Francisco with us here 
on the show today. And you know what? As he just said, we'll be back in the bonus part of today's show. So if you guys want to catch today's bonus part, remember all you have to do is become a patron. You can get more information at patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso. Find out about how you can get PDFs and you can get weekly and monthly classes with me, prizes, and so much more. That said, I'd like to send a shout out to my super duper students, Roberto, Jose Maria, Carolina, Eva, Mila, Desiree, Alex, Patricio, Edgar, and Loles. And don't forget about my interstellar students, Carmen, Pilar, and Diana. In the bonus part of the show, we're going to take a look at some sound bites. We're going to listen to Manson, that's right, Charles Manson and Ted Bundy, and we're going to analyze and discuss what they said. We're also going to look at some idioms and some serial killer tours. Yeah, talk about morbid curiosity. All that and much more in the bonus part of today's FYI. <laughs> 